Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. When police arrived on the scene shortly before 11 p.m. on December 8th, 1980, John Lennon was in such bad shape that they could not wait for the ambulance to arrive. And the officers scooped up John Lennon and put them in the back of a police squad car to rush him off to Roosevelt Hospital. Because of the location of the bullet holes, they had to lie him in the back of the vehicle face down so that John would not choke on his own blood. John was wheeled into the emergency room. By this point, he had lost about 80% of his blood and virtually had no pulse at all. Doctors and nurses were looking for a way to save this man's life. So they made an incision in the left chest and separated the ribs and found a very large amount of blood. They looked for an injury to the heart, and they used by hand to try to pump and massage the heart to bring this man back to life. But every time they pumped, most of what they pumped simply just came out blood out of the holes. 
it was totally ineffective. Although seven medics tried desperately to revive him, John Lennon was finally pronounced dead. And at 11.15 p.m. on ABC Monday Night Football, Howard Cosell announced John's death to the world. And you heard that clip in the trailer for part one of our coverage of John Lennon's case. You have the most famous man in the world dead and assassinated by Mark David Chapman, a guy that nobody knows. So now everybody wants to know who is Mark David Chapman and why did he do this? Yeah, the suspect arrested, as you said, Captain, was Mark David Chapman, 25 years old from Hawaii. He was under heavy guard and taken to the Tombs Prison in downtown Manhattan to await arraignment, which would take place Tuesday morning. He apparently stalked John Lennon for three days. He told police he had a license for the gun that he used to kill John Lennon, which was a Charter Arms 38 caliber revolver, but was only able to produce a bill of sale for the gun purchased in Honolulu, Hawaii, six weeks before the shooting. Chapman told police he was annoyed that Lennon had only scribbled his autograph on the album. Police said that although Chapman gave different stories to the detectives about the slaying, he was emphatic that he knew he was shooting the 40-year-old John Lennon. David Gaffin, president of Gaffin Records, read a statement issued by Yoko the night of Lennon's death, saying, quote, John loved and prayed for the human race. Please do the same for him. All right, let's dive in to who is Mark David Chapman. Mark Chapman was born May 10th, 1955 in Fort Worth, Texas, but he grew up in Decanter, Georgia, in a pretty typical situation living with mom, dad, and then his little sister, who was seven years younger than Mark. The major difference from most other typical living situations for a child is simple. His father, David Chapman, was a staff sergeant in the U.S. Air Force and was verbally and physically abusive to both Mark and his mother. Mark said he was in constant fear of his father. So when at home, he would spend most of his time locking himself away in his bedroom. During this time of self-isolation, Mark developed imaginary friends, imaginary people, and even characters. Mark Chapman began to fantasize about having king-like power over a group of imaginary little people who lived in the walls of his bedroom. Mark, like most teenagers, was a big Beatle fan growing up. He attended Columbia High School in Decanter, Georgia, and at the young age of 14, he was using drugs and skipping classes at school. There's actually some recordings of Mark playing guitar and singing Beatles songs. In 1971, Chapman became a born-again Christian. This, like several other influences in Chapman's life, will go beyond that of a personal interest or even the level of faith in this situation. Chapman would develop several obsessions throughout the course of his life. And then one has to wonder, perhaps, was the Beatles one of his first obsessions? Mm -hmm. All right, on to the next obsession, if you will, here, Captain. A friend recommended to Mark that he read J.D. Salinger's book, The Catcher in the Rye. This is a pretty famous book for our younger audience who might not be aware of this 
what I'm going to call a rare situation. This is a book that has both been banned from some school libraries as well as assigned reading in other schools. Right. The novel eventually took on a great personal significance for Mark David Chapman to the extent that he reportedly wished to model his life after the book's protagonist, Holden Colefield. I think that is putting it lightly. Other sources say that he believed at some point or during portions of his life that he was Holden Colefield. His early adult life was filled with depression. He moved several times, and each time, this was hundreds of miles away from the last place where he lived. He went from Georgia to Chicago and back to Georgia again. He started having suicidal thoughts and began to feel like a failure. He dropped out of college after just one semester. He then worked as a security guard. This was an armed security position. So he had to learn how to use and operate a firearm with a decent amount of success. Before this, there was no indication that Mark had any experience with guns. To qualify for the position, Mark needed to score at least 50 points on his security and firearms exam. Mark scored an 88, this after taking a week-long training course. Well, a little bit before this and, and during this time, Mark was always working with children, uh, worked at camps, uh, worked with a group that had, um, they had Vietnam refugees where he worked with the children. But he would reference a lot that he, even though he's getting older, he wasn't growing up. He wasn't going to become a grown-up. He was still going to have the innocence of a child. Uh, and, and that would make him closer to the character Holden. Yeah, there were times, especially the last week or so that he worked at one camp in particular, where people would later say that he just talked constantly about the book, The Catcher in the Rye. In 1977, Chapman moved to Hawaii. Now, we have to understand that this guy, he is slowly spiraling out of control, if he ever was in control to begin with. He is not, in my opinion, moving to Hawaii so much so with a job lined up or a place to live or really even any plan at all. This, to me, Captain, simply looks like a guy who is running away. Well, okay, there's, there's a story from one of the campers saying that he was just this lovable guy. They, I think they called him like Nemo for a while, and then they'd call him the Pied Piper and they had all these different names for him, and, and supposedly he was just excellent with children. Mm -hmm. But then something happened where the the kids noticed it more than the parents, that there was like this shift, and there was this girl that was really close to him, and, and she's on record as saying that he came to visit her, and their parents were like, hey, go give him a hug. And she's like, no, there's something different about him. So this going to Hawaii... Again, it's reported multiple ways. Some people say he went there with no plan. I think he's come out and said, well, I went there with the plan of I'm going to go there, uh, take the money I have, gamble it away, and if I don't win, then I'm just going to kill myself. Yeah, it looks like when he first gets to Hawaii that he's living in a hotel off of his meager savings that he had at the time, and he is falling deeper and deeper into 
depression and became suicidal. Chapman eventually attempted suicide by connecting a hose to his car's exhaust pipe, you know, start up the car, roll up the windows and attempting to kill himself by way of carbon monoxide asphyxiation. But the hose melted and the attempt failed. Right. Well, and I also believe a fisherman came up and knocked on his window. What happens here, Captain, is this is probably the first thing that the first time that I could see where somebody recognizes that there is something not right with this young man. Right. And a psychiatrist admitted Chapman to, I believe the name was Castle Memorial Hospital, this for his clinical depression. He didn't stay very long there. Now, in 1978, Mark Chapman went on a six-week trip around the world. This vacation was partly inspired by the film Around the World in 80 Days. He then began a relationship with his travel agent. This is a Japanese-American woman named Gloria Abe, Mm -hmm. who he married in June of 1979. I also believe at this time he was actually working at the hospital. Yeah, that's absolutely right. He went back to work in the hospital. At this time, though, and this is one thing that I always fear with people who suffer from depression, people that, especially to this level, to the point of, where this guy is suicidal. Right. And I mean, from a young age, he's imagining things that aren't real. He's living in a different reality. He takes on not just this hospital job, but even shortly after the hospital job, he starts working jobs that are are very isolated. Mm -hmm. He's a solitary man, solitary position working by himself. This is not the camp where he's, you know, in Chicago playing guitar and singing songs for kids. And, and as you said, he was loved by the kids that, that he counseled at the camp. Mm-hmm. He was well-liked by his coworkers. He thrived in that situation. I think what we have here is in late 1979, he goes on to work this job at the hospital. Well, that sounds like he's going to be working around a bunch of people. No, he worked as a printer often in a space by himself for large parts of large portions of his shifts. Right. And then he gets into some kind of verbal altercation on a couple of occasions with different coworkers. This leads to him being fired. It sounds like they even took him back briefly. He quits. He goes on then to take another security job. This time it's a night security job. So he's by himself even more at this time so well let's be clear when he marries this girl she thinks oh this guy's amazing they get married quickly he's physically abusive towards her we get married and he's amazing and then boom he's not amazing anymore yeah and she was she really was like this is my worst nightmare because he she claims that he showed no signs of being abusive towards her or or really towards anybody else other than maybe himself until they got married. Yeah, this is where it's really like after the the wedding, as soon as these two are married, you would think, you would hope that that relationship, that this man who thinks of himself as a failure, who thinks of himself as a loner, who finally has someone who accepts him for who he is, maybe this would be the jumping off point that he needs to getting some help to feeling loved. Yeah. And 
I think he had some friends or at least some acquaintances that were worried about him, but more worried about his depression, mm-hmm. not not worried that he'd hurt somebody else because he did seem like a a kind person. And I think also if you know somebody for a little bit of time, you go, well, what did you used to do? Well, I worked with children for years and I, I worked with uh, Vietnam refugees and I, and I, um, you know, counseled kids at, at camps. I mean, they all, everybody that knew him said he had a very gentle disposition. So after the marriage, he starts working these isolated, solitary jobs. He's having a hard time holding down a job. He begins drinking heavily. And this further develops his depression as well as some of his obsessions. And these major obsessions at this time in his life include his favorite book, The Catcher in the Rye, and John Lennon. In September of 1980, he wrote a letter to a friend which stated, quote, I'm going nuts. He signed the letter, The Catcher in the Rye. In October of 1980, Mark David Chapman quits his job. And on his final shift at that job, he signs out on his time card with the name John Lennon. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. 
All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. I guess the first few weeks I was just in a dream kind of thing. I mean, it just didn't seem real, you know. As reality sunk in, it left Gloria wondering what happened to the life she had dreamed of when she first met Mark David Chapman in 1978. She saw him as a sort of a knight in shining armor. She did. She did. Jim Gaines is one of the only reporters to have interviewed Gloria Chapman. He says she spoke lovingly about her engagement. They were walking on the beach, and Mark said to Gloria, would you marry me? And she was just ecstatic. And she described it to me as the happiest day of her life. 
Um, Mark never did. Perhaps that was a glimpse into the misery and, she says, abuse that soon followed. I don't remember what I said, but I must have said something sarcastic, something in it. hit me real hard, like on my ear. And it really kind of sent me, you know, my ears and stuff. Mm -hmm. I had to sit down. Gloria's naive dreams of happily ever after vanished altogether. The only place you could go for privacy was in the bathroom. I just go in there, lock the door, and just cry, you know, and just say, you know, I can't take this, you know, how long am I going to be like this, you know, this is so miserable. Why do you think she stayed with him all these years? She was faithful. It was a virtue. You obeyed virtues. She was trying to be a good wife in an impossible situation. In October of 1980, Mark David Chapman went to New York City with the intention of killing John Lennon. During this trip, Chapman was inspired by the film Ordinary People to stop his plans, to which he then went to Atlanta and then he went back to Hawaii. His movements, I'm not going to lie to you, Captain, are a little confusing to me during this period because we have him moving around quite a bit and we he's kind of coming in and out of the life of his wife during this time. Mind you, when he is around her, he's talking gibberish and nonsense to her. He's saying things that just seem, well, they seem nuts to right. the point where she's saying, You've got to get some help. Chapman would later say that he told his wife he intended to kill John Lennon. He says he went so far as to show her the gun and the ammunition. Right. He also says that he was again stopped from time to time by what he would call signs. One of these signs was that he said that he saw on the TV people talking about how one should not kill. If you believe in God, if you follow God, you should not kill. You should not harm other people. He also said another sign was that he was that his wife had placed a sign on a wall in where they lived in their home that said, thou shall not kill. You typically see this when people who have completely gone off the rails they are looking to do something horrible. It's weird, though, Captain, because as far gone as I think Mark David Chapman was at this point, he seems to be fully aware of what he is intending to do is a very bad and harmful thing. Yeah, I think it's interesting that his movements in New York the first time, we don't know exactly where he went, what he did. We don't know exactly what happened when he went back to Atlanta we don't know exactly what he did when he went back to Hawaii. Right. And But he keeps saying he was looking for signs. He was looking for something to stop him from doing what he intended to do. Mm -hmm. This would end up with him traveling back to New York City, arriving on December 6th, 1980. But New York's going to be an interesting place because if you read the book Catcher in the Rye, it ends in New York. So not only does he have a destination on who he wants to kill, he has a destination spot, which just happens to be the same spot that, that his victim lives 
and it seems like he was intending to live out portions of that book and with him he has a list a list of people that uh i'm assuming it's a hit list people that he wanted to kill yeah his whole thought was that because of the book the book is telling people look people are phony and that that holden is not phony and so you if you want to be so basically he wants to kill these people that are phone phony to basically have them be um i guess a, a warning to others like this is what happens to you if you're phony and Chapman, he basically, as we said earlier, spent about three days out front of the Dakota. I best, I guess the best word for it is stalking John Lennon, waiting to see John Lennon. And he would meet and talk with other people who were hoping to catch a glimpse of the star as well, maybe get an autograph as well. He would talk and chat with some of these other people while he was waiting. But it wasn't until Monday on December 8th, when he would actually get to see John Lennon. Yeah, what's so crazy is he was actually going through the book and seeing what Holden did, and he was basically doing the same thing. All Holden went here, so now I got to go here. And One of the things was um, he, he went to Central Park to ask cab drivers about the birds because it's something that Holden did in the book. He also got um, hired a sex worker to go to his his hotel and and in the book Holden doesn't have sex with the sex worker so that's the same thing that Mark David Chapman did and then he he paid the sex worker double. It just it's just very strange. He was he's almost following this like blueprint that the book laid out for him. Also in that list that you were talking about earlier. Again, it's one of those things where people say there's 50 names on it and people speculate who was on it. But it seems like the main people were John Lennon, uh, Johnny Carson, Ronald Reagan, and Paul McCartney. Yeah, that list is a little, the hit list, let's call it, is a little difficult because this is a case, and we say case, but really there's this whole story that, and so little of it involves the actual murder of John Lennon. It's been well documented John Lennon's life of 40 years, uh, the Beatles, their their career, their success, all well documented. Mark David Chapman, he is well documented because he's the man that's known to be the guy that killed one of the most famous musicians of all time. Right. And so where we talk about lists, you know, I see, I, I believe David Bowie said that, Hey, I was next on that list. I was second on the list. And what we have here is the reaction is, is bizarre because it's unlike most of the crimes and most of the murders that we have covered here in the garage, be it if they're solved or unsolved. Mark David Chapman, after he carried out his, I'm using air quotes here, mission. He puts down the gun, puts down his coat, surrenders to the police, starts thumbing through his book of the catcher in the rye. And as you just pointed out, and I think the best way to say it and to describe 
his time in New York is through Chapman's own words where he said, you know, I was living through the pages of the catcher in the rye. Right. I was living the book. The book was living through me during that time. One story, I want to go back to the David Bowie story real quick here when in reference to the hit list. It's a very interesting story because David Bowie said he was second on the list and that he was attending a Broadway production of The Elephant Man. This would be the day after Lennon was killed. Right. Bowie believes, well, he part of this he probably knows, but Bowie has stated that John and Yoko were going to sit with him in the front row that night at the at the Elephant Man. Right. And that Mark Chapman had managed to buy a ticket to sit next to all three of them. So picture four seats here. David Bowie says that night, the night after John Lennon was killed, there were three empty seats in the front row next to me. And he believes that it was going to be John Lennon, Yoko Ono, and Mark David Chapman who were to occupy those seats. That might have gave Chapman the opportunity to kill all three of these people. Now, I believe it has been stated in at certain places that the Chapman chose Lennon other over his other targets out of convenience that he was easier to get to possibly. And that may be the truth, but most of what I could find and it's my own personal belief I think John Lennon was at the top of his list. Well, yeah, first of all, we we know for a fact that he had a a little bit of an obsession with them when he was mm-hmm. younger. He, that's why he learned how to play guitar. We have evidence of him singing uh, Beatles songs. We have evidence that he had the Beatles haircut for a while. We have his wife saying that he talked about killing John Lennon. We have him signing out from work as John Lennon. Um, us, we also have friends of his or acquaintances of his saying you know, every now and then he would talk bad about people and he talked bad about John Lennon, called him a phony all the time, saying that he could he could do more, that he's, you know, so rich, but he could give to these um, charities and he's not doing enough. Well, and he was verbally angry many years after the fact about Lennon's more popular than Jesus comments from back in 1966. Right. He had said time and time again to several people, can you believe that that man actually said that? Right. What gives him the right that he, that he believes he's bigger or more popular than Jesus? Yeah. And I think, you know, the big, why, why all this stuff happened? I, I think there's multiple reasons. And I think Mm -hmm. Mark had many reasons in his head. And I think, like you said, access, but again, there's no proof that he would have murdered anybody else. I mean, he killed John and he had just the same amount of opportunity to kill Yoko if he wanted to, and he, and he chose not to. Correct. And he chose not to flee the area. He totally could have got away. I mean, New York, uh, he's not from there, right? Nobody would have a clue who who this guy was, you shoot John Lennon and you take off down the street. And if you can get away, 
because you're on foot. If nobody stops you or people are afraid to stop you because you have a gun, he could have got away and flew back to Hawaii before they even knew who it, who it was. Well, and we talked earlier about Mark Chapman looking for signs, looking for something to stop him. He said that on this second trip back to New York City, that he believed he couldn't kill Lennon on his own. He didn't have the strength to do it. So he says that he invoked the spirit of the devil, and he did what he believed were devil-worshipping ceremonies by himself, trying to ask the devil to help him kill John Lennon. Yeah. And looking for signs, he says when he finally met Lennon, Lennon gives him the autograph, He's waiting around during that day on the 8th. He met two other people and had conversations with them. One of them was a man by the name of Paul Goresh. Paul Goresh was somebody who frequently would stand outside of the Dakota, hoping to snap a photo of John Lennon. He even had his picture taken with John Lennon in November. And he is there talking with Chapman. Chapman, he was standing next to Chapman when Chapman got the autograph on the cover of the Double Fantasy album. He was the guy that snapped the photo of Lennon signing the autograph where you can see Chapman over Lennon's left shoulder. Chapman said years later that he told this man that he met, Paul Goresh, hey, He's got to come back sometime. Now, mind you, after the autograph, Lennon takes off in his his limo, and he says, hey, he's got to come back sometime. You should wait around and get your album autographed. Right. They waited around for a little bit of time, and at some point, Paul says, you know, I've waited long enough. I'm going to, I'm just going to head home. I'll get it another day. Let's keep that in mind and then take it a step further. Chapman said that he met a woman outside of the Dakota that day. And he had asked her out on a date. Well, I, I actually think that she was there because like we said, Mark David Chapman were, was outside the Dakota multiple days. I think they actually met the day before and then he saw her again the day of, and they started kind of talking about like, Oh, well we, we should go grab something to eat or something. Yeah. He says that he asked her out on a date to which she said no or said she wasn't going to go for whatever reason. Chapman says that had either of those interactions with either of those individuals worked out differently, he probably wouldn't have killed. He would not have killed John Lennon on December 8th, 1980. He said, yeah, if, but, but he was not, never going to stop. I don't, he believe. said if Paul would have stuck around to get the autograph, if Paul would have been there when Lennon came back, he wouldn't have shot him. He also said if he would have gone out on the date, he would have left before Lennon would have returned and he would not have had the opportunity to shoot him on the eighth. But you're exactly right. He said those two individuals should not feel bad because I would have then just killed John the next day. Yeah. Or some other time. I mean, like you said, he was in New York for a period. Then he left New York. And then he just kept making these trips and he was going to eventually find him somewhere. And if it wasn't John, I believe he would have killed somebody else on that list. Like you said, if he would have got to New York and somebody said, oh, well, you know, uh, 
you know, John's back in England, you know, John Lennon's back in England for a couple months. He might've went just to the next person on the list. I think he had this like determination. He had this, this, like you said, how he would create fake characters that he felt like if he did this, that he was accomplishing something. Well, of course, John Lennon's one of the most famous people in the world. If he kills that person, he will obtain a certain level of that person's fame. Right. At least that's what he believed. And unfortunately, to this day, 40 years later, we all know his name because of his actions. But it's so weird to me because the whole idea is like, oh, well, John Lennon's phony. And and one could make that argument right alongside Mark David Chapman. Yes, here's this guy that talked about peace and and love and all this stuff, but was abusive towards his first wife, maybe abusive towards his his oldest son, right? Uh, a guy that had some infidelity issues. Possibly his wife had some infidelity issues. And they're talking about, you know, uh, love is the answer and, and all you need is love and, and, and no war and, and all these things. And, and having these... Um, publicity stunts that yes they were i guess charitable but was it also just to make lennon a bigger star hey we got married we're going to go on a honeymoon and we know that the paparazzi is going to be there so we do a bed in but isn't that just doing a whole week of drawing attention to yourself yes you have a cause peace not war but i think those are the things that mark found phony you know you didn't have you don't have to do a protest that way to bring upon the attention to yourself but at the same time you you sit there and go okay well i could see why somebody would go look at this giant icon preaching all this stuff but he's preaching it to everybody but not living it himself and at times is a is a junkie but then the, the whole message is Look who it's coming from. Mark David Chapman that believes he is a character in a book. You can't even live your own life. You're such a phony that you don't even have an identity until you take on an identity from a book. You think you're so righteous, but then you're abusive to your wife. You're he's a giant phony. Does does that make any sense? Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, I I, it's without hesitation that I say the guy certainly needed help and probably needed help from a very young age. And I don't think that we can sit here and try to pick apart and rationalize the decision that he made to kill John Lennon or fully understand what his his real intentions were or the the motive behind any of it, because I don't know that Mark David Chapman fully understands it himself. And I think you're exactly right. I think that at the most simple level that we can put this is that Mark Chapman was very much a nobody. He was a failure. John Lennon was the complete opposite of that. He was extremely successful, extremely famous. 
and well-liked. He was everything that Mark David Chapman was not, everything that Chapman wanted to be. And somehow, in some weird, twisted way, I think Chapman believed that he could be more Lennon-like if he killed John Lennon. Yeah, possibly, but I I do see a a, a side where you know he he did drugs. John did drugs. They're both abusive people. I think there's a part of him that was like, look how easy it's for him for this icon because he was part of the Beatles. He, he almost like John wasn't punished for it, but I was. And he talks a lot about how he's going down. He's fallen off the cliff, falling deeper and deeper. Uh, and, but again, we, you know, there's plenty of interviews with Mark David Chapman. His story constantly changes. He constantly talks about these different signs he saw, um, or the signs he did not receive. I mean, he spent right. most of the evening of the 8th struggling inside of his own mind. This is according to Chapman, trying to decide on, well, do I get the next cab out of here and go home, or do I stick around and shoot and kill John Lennon? Yeah. To which he says, there were no signs to tell me to stop. There right. was no signs that, you know, this man that I met, Paul, he left. Well, that's a sign to keep going. This woman that I asked out, she didn't go out with me. That's a sign to stay here and keep going. And then when the limo pulls up and Yoko and John get out and John is walking toward him, Chapman starts hearing in his head, do it, do it now, do it, do it now, do it now. And then he pulls the gun, he takes the combat stance, and he fires five shots in the direction of John Lennon. And he becomes the biggest piece of shit in history. Well, we got to put this guy behind bars here still, Captain. So what we have here is Mark Chapman. He is going to, he has the right to attorney. He has a right to a trial. In February of 1981, he sends a handwritten statement to the New York Times telling everyone to read The Catcher in the Rye, calling it an extraordinary book that holds many answers. He would not be sentenced until 1981 in August, late August. And he, and he's evaluated for six months prior to his trial. This is going to be with over a dozen different psychiatrists. Chapman was charged with second degree murder. Originally, his attorneys told him to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. Well, after a bunch of back and forth, what ends up happening is Chapman decides of his own free will to, to declare himself competent, and he pled guilty to the murder of John Lennon. Yeah, and he's been sentenced to 20 years, which has already passed, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know Yoko and Sean show up at every parole hearing. And I think they, did they tack on more time because he had a list? Because I don't think the charge was as simple as just he was charged with the killing of John Lennon. I think he was also possibly charged with something. Maybe they dismissed that. Uh, but he was, I thought he was charged with something because he had that, that hit list. Well, some people find it interesting that his wife was never charged with anything. 
going off of the belief that Chapman did, as he said, tell his wife he intended to kill John Lennon, showed her the gun, showed her the ammunition. Right. She knew he had already gone to New York once before. Her simple answer is that the guy said a lot of things and did very little. And she did she did suggest to him many times you need to get help, even scheduling him to go and talk with people. However, he never would show up for the actual appointments. Right. That, I mean, I think it's just a very difficult situation. Mental health needs to be talked about more and more, and we need to be way more open about it, not just because these individuals could hurt themselves, but because they hurt others. How many cases now have we seen? You know, look at Columbine. Those guys were depressed. Look at this case. This guy uh, has some depression issues going on. He has probably some psychosis issues going on as mm -hmm. well. And if people were more willing to say, hey, look, I'm going to have to call his doctor myself and say, hey, there's something wrong with him, and these are the things he's saying, and you have to be able to report that stuff. Uh, it would save lives. Yeah, and I don't need a degree on my wall to tell you that this guy had some mental issues. I mean, it's it's obvious to us all. He had depression issues, and I don't think that that is the extent of it. As you said, Captain, he gets 20 years in prison. Uh, he is required to have a parole hearing every two years from that year uh, once he's eligible. So in 2000, he had his first parole hearing, and he has had 11 of them since, and every single time has been denied parole. It looks like per some of his statements at these parole hearings that he... I don't want to comment to his state of mind because I don't think that I'm qualified to do that. However, it looks like at times throughout the years, he's understood the severity of his crime. And he's also stated things like this was premeditated murder. This was something that was selfish and evil that I did. And in fact, this year at the age of 65, he was denied parole once again for the 11th time. Mark David Chapman's 12th parole hearing is scheduled for August of 2022. Well, one of the things that Yoko always says is that she fears not only just for her, she fears not only for her family, but the safety of Mark David Chapman, because how many, because he has a target on his back right when he gets out. Well, that's one reason that they moved him from the medical facility where they first kept him to evaluate him for months and months before his trial. They had to move him from there because they didn't believe they could keep him safe. So they had to take him to the prison to wait for his trial where they knew that they could keep him safe. So I think you're exactly right. This guy would have a target on his back regardless of where he is. I'm surprised that he survived this long in prison, but then I also have to keep in mind, if you idolize John Lennon and you want to try to be more like his, he was later in life, then you are an advocate for peace mm -hmm. and therefore going out with a violent act on Mark David Chapman would go against what those beliefs were. We don't have a recommended reading 
this week, Captain. There's so many things out there, so many directions to point someone if they want more information on this case or the life of John Lennon or the Beatles. Right. right. And there's multiple documentaries. There's multiple movies made about uh, the killing of John Lennon. One piece of material in particular that I will suggest to everyone out there is the December 1992 Larry King interview with Mark David Chapman. This was on the Larry King live program. I found this to be a fascinating interview. I've really enjoyed watching Mark talk about the crimes, talk about his life, the events leading up to that. I don't know how much of it was, as you would say, hogwash or flim flam. Is he giving us a different version because he's able to tell the story 12 years later? He does at times also present himself as a victim. I have a hard time seeing him as a victim, knowing what he did, knowing that he walked around ready to murder individuals for whatever reason it was. Right. But I found it to be a fascinating interview. And Larry King, of course, one of the best interviewers of all time. So I recommend the 1992 interview with Mark David Chapman. And if you get a chance, he also had some corresponding uh, letters with the arresting officer. And I think there was three or four letters. Those were auctioned off. But that kind of gives an insight. And, and what I would say about this case more so than other cases is there's a lot of details. There's a lot of possible answers of why or possible details. But because the person killed was such an icon, I think there's so many stories that are surrounding this case that are possibly just not factually true. But I'll place that Larry King and Mark David Chapman interview on our website at truecrimegarage.com. According to Keith Greenberg's book, December 8, 1980, The Day John Lennon Died, Mark David Chapman was contemplating the possibilities of acquiring a nuclear device and blowing up a small city. Then he revised his plan. He could hurt a lot more people by murdering someone whom untold millions saw as an idol, a voice, and a role model. Today, Mark David Chapman is Attica State Prisoner 81A2860. He is up for parole, but it's probably for the betterment and the safety of our society that he remains a prisoner for the rest of his days. John Lennon was not a perfect man. We all know that. In fact, John Lennon said himself, that he was a flawed individual. He was trying to become a better man, a better father, a better husband. He was writing music to inspire everybody else to evolve and to become better people as well. And I think that it was Joel Siegel who summed it up best in reference to the death of John Lennon. He said, quote, it's because he dreamed so beautifully that we hurt so much. guys so much for joining us thanks for letting us be a part of your week and if you need more true crime garage download the stitcher app all of our shows they are free 
And we have a bonus show called Off the Record on Stitcher Premium. There's a lot of cases to go through, over 500 episodes combined. And with Off the Record, we get to go do a lot of case updates. So if you're wondering about a case that we covered, if there's been an update, we give that to you on Off the Record. Until next week, Colonel. That's right. We'll have a new Off the Record on Monday, new case for you on Tuesday. Come back and see us. Stay safe. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.